Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. 1 Corinthians 1.30 All things of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And because we are saved by grace through faith, because of that faith we have hope. Because God has shown us his overview of himself. That gives us hope. The overview of God shows us who we are in him. That gives us hope. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. So he's known as the firstborn from the dead. That gives us hope. Like I said on Sunday, as with Jesus, so with us. Make sense? He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn to enter immortality. Scripture cannot lie. So when you see... Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, Luke 11, I believe. Mount of Transfiguration, and you see Moses and Elijah. It was not them. It was visions. It was visions. Because to see that to say it was them in the person is to say that Moses and Elijah are in glorified bodies. And also implies they entered glorification before Jesus. That's an insult on the entire resurrection of Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. And then you will give us a major theological problem. The only problem you have is the one you create for yourself. Because you look at one scripture in isolation, you will come into error. How will you reconcile that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? The first one to enter immortality. And then there's Moses and Elijah showing up in spirit form glorified on the mountain. Before Jesus has entered immortality. At at best, Jesus should be the third born. That's why when the trance finished and lifted, the disciples came back to themselves. Jesus said, what are you doing? Let's go now. Let's go down. It was a vision. That's why he lifted it was the same way Peter saw a sheet yes, yes. in Acts 9 10. Yes. Sheets with animals. Yes, it was a vision. It was a vision. Because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus. Jesus. He's the first. Jesus. The first and the last. Jesus. Again, he de- in the Revelation, he defines himself as the first and the last. It wasn't John describing him. It was he saying, I am the first and the last. Or else our our hope for immortality will not be premised on the resurrection of Jesus. We should be looking at Moses or Elijah. Elijah went up in a wild wind in a chariot. Hebrews 11 says he died. He should have said, this all died, excluding Elijah, who went up in a chariot. 
Then I will show you in scripture where Elijah showed up and gave a prophecy to a king a few years later. And you will answer for yourself if Elijah went up in a chariot to heaven or in a transition of prophetic office. There will be a problem if Elijah went up in the chariot to heaven means he didn't taste death. There will be a problem if Enoch walking with God without dying meant he entered eternity and tasted immortality. Then Jesus is a waste of time and space. Waste of time and space. There's nothing you can tell. This is why atheists and agnostics make a mockery of Christianity. Because you don't have a grasp on the word of God. You're confused and all over the place. Like the guy that doesn't know where to pack the plane. So let's look at scripture holistically. Not in isolation. Enoch walked with God and was not for God to kill. What does that mean? Don't conclude that he entered eternity without dying. Don't do that. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture doesn't say that. Doesn't. Then Hebrews calls him among the heroes of faith and says these all died. Not having obtained the promise. But if Enoch walked with God and was not but God took him, then he entered the promise. Before Abraham. Before Abraham, Enoch should be the father of faith. Because men even began to call on the name of the Lord in his time. He should be the father of faith. He should have been one sent to die for our sins. He comes and goes and he's not. And Abraham comes. A Canaanite. A Gentile. In case you don't realize that the first Hebrew was a Gentile. <laughs> Just in case you don't realize, the first Hebrew, the first Hebrew, the first Hebrew was a Gentile pagan. The same Canaanites that God told them, make sure you chase them out of the land. <laughs> it's a Gentile, Maharan. Hidden nation, hidden people that was picked out. Why not Enoch, who was a direct descendant of, of, of Adam? And walked with God so powerfully that he just died. He just went into eternity without dying. And then scripture then comes and says, he died in faith. Then let's look for them. Find out what happened to them. Because it's either the person they are dying in faith is lying. Or the person that is here saying that they didn't see death is lying. Or this is not what it means. That's how you, that's how you investigate scripture. You cannot be emotional about it. It's not your scripture. <laughs> not your scripture. Let the man speak for himself. Keep holding the Bible like you are the one that wrote it. As if it's your integrity that is at stake. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> as if it's your integrity that is at stake no let the scripture speak for himself 
So see, either this one is lying, this one is lying, or one of them doesn't mean what they're saying. That's why I've told you that God's word is inerrant. It's without error. God's word is inerrant. If there's an error in understanding God's word, it is not from the source, it is from the interpreter. <laughs> it's from the interpreter. It's always an error of interpretation. Always an error of translation. Always an error of comprehension. Because if Moses and Elijah are in heaven and they are showing up and appearing and disappearing, then Jesus has no right to claim he's the first man from the dead. We haven't entered the day of the Lord and Moses is coming and going as he likes. Elijah is appearing and disappearing without body. What Jesus himself had not yet tasted. Oh, but him, but him. They said that, that Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. First of all, is Abraham God? So when a righteous man dies, he's not even going to the throne of God. He's going to the bosom of Abraham. I'm not going. I'm not going. Secondly, it was an allegory. It was a parable. It was a story. Why did Jesus pick Abraham? Because every Jew understood the concept of Abraham being their father in the faith. So he took that picture to get their attention because Abraham was the largest spiritual authority to the Jew. So he borrows that pictorially because he understood pictures. So, so he died and he went to the bosom of Abraham. Doesn't mean that when you die, you are going to the bosom of Abraham. When Abraham is the bosom of the Lord. Is he around that died for your sins? Because the people that argue for pre-Christ immortality bring and say, well, the rich man, Abraham, Lazarus was at the bosom of Abraham. Is Abraham God? Even if it was real. Two, where it becomes that Abraham, when we get to heaven, is Abraham we're looking to become like? Come on, guys. Come on. So no, don't be so eh, about scripture. Let it interpret himself. Don't be, in a, don't be in a hurry. They died in faith. So we throw through the scriptures. You find the trajectory of what happened. But see, we have, for, for centuries we have stopped searching because somebody said... And the people that will pick your Bible and in six hours will read it page to page and floor you in a conversation. Destroy your faith in an argument. Pick out all the flaws in your doctrine. Because it doesn't make sense even to you. You can't articulate it. You can't tie the ends together. You can't systematically divide the word of truth. And you're in church wasting time serving in a department. That's why you avoid conversations. Yeah. Tell you, go out to, to preach the gospel. You're afraid. Because you know you don't know it. Yes. And when they start to say, well, everybody should hold his own truth. No, nobody has truth. Yeah. Nobody has truth. Hold on to your own truth. We can't be saying two different things and then both of them are true. 
either both of them are a lie or one of them is true. Now hold on to your own truth. It's working for you. <laughs> it's working for you. One of the lamest things again in religion. It's working for you. Moses threw his rod, Aaron's rod before Pharaoh. It became a serpent. Moses, Pharaoh's magicians threw their rods. And there were at least 40 of them. And all their rods became serpents. What nonsense are you saying about his working for you? Every single plague that Moses and Aaron brought upon Egypt. <laughs> it's so, so stupid. Pharaoh's sorcerers brought also upon Egypt. They could not take anything away. They just kept replicating what Moses and Aaron were doing. Until the death of the firstborn. So what are you telling me about his walking? Simon Bajona, Elimas, terrorized an entire city with witchcraft. It was working. A girl, slave girl with a familiar spirit went around following the disciples for three days, declaring that Jesus is Lord by a familiar spirit. And it was working. Don't tell me, don't tell me it's working for me. You're not serious with your faith. You're not serious with your faith. Tell me it's working. That's not the litmus test for accuracy of scripture. The word of God rightly divided it is. (laughs) Are you here? So that's how we have hope. Because Jesus is the first one from the dead. If our hope is based on Moses, then we have a problem. Why are we then told that we are not being justified by keeping the law? If the proponent of the law has entered immortality. Let's let's have these difficult conversations. Do you understand what I'm saying of you? If the person that brought the law, that you are disparaging now because you are saying it's obsolete, has tasted immortality by the law or from the law, then why are you telling me I cannot be justified by keeping the law of somebody who has by the law entered immortality. Let's talk into, we're not stupid though. Yeah? We're not, when we go born again, we didn't trade our brains at the altar, of, altar call. Let's have intelligent conversations. If Elijah is already the litmus test, or Elijah is the standard for immortality, why would Jesus then reprimand his disciples in Luke 9 for wanting to do what Elijah did? Should we call on fire from heaven and destroy these people just as Elijah did? Jesus says, he rebuked them and says, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. In other words, the spirit you're of is not the spirit of Elijah. It's not the spirit of Elijah. But our hope, 1 Corinthians 15, deals with that. If Christ did not rise, ah, then you are dead in your sins and your faith is in vain. So he's the hope we have for eternal life. The fact that Jesus has entered immortality. Jesus alone. What did I say? Jesus alone. Jesus is the only human that has transitioned into immortality. Quote me anywhere. Go back and read your Bible. All the emotional mushiness 
of our loved ones who are dead is just that, emotional. There's some comfort and some succor that comes from you concluding that your loved one is in the bosom of the Lord. They sleep. That's what scripture says. They sleep. Now concerning those who sleep in the Lord. The dead in Christ shall rise. For if they are in heaven, where are they rising from? Are they rising from heaven? That's poor logistics. Whoop, take off from heaven because to fly up, when you're already up, you have to fly down first. Enter the body. And now go up again. We'll now follow you. It's poor logistics. Means logistics can do better than that. Concerning those who sleep, sleep in the Lord. Those who sleep, whether we are awake or we are asleep, we will be with the Lord. The dead in Christ are sleeping. They are asleep. And that's, that's why there will be a quickening. Yeah, in the spirit of he who raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you. He who raised up Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. The same way he quickened the mortal body of Jesus. Through the spirit of he who raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead will quicken. The word there is zopoio. Give life to your mortal body when you are dead. The same way he gave life to the mortal body of Jesus to resurrect is the same way on the day of the Lord the dead in Christ will be given life. As by the Spirit of the Lord. That's why you have that deposit in you, that auxiliary battery in you. Are you understanding it? So, our hope of eternal life, our hope of glorification, our hope for immortality is as exemplified in Jesus alone. But right now, it's not a glory he's sharing with anybody. Us and Moses shall be glorified together. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Apart from us, apart from us, apart from us, apart from us. Us and Elijah are entering together. Us and Enoch are entering together. We are going to be glorified together. As with Jesus, so with us. Together. How can they who lived in the shadow have already entered the reality and then us who are in the reality are stuck in the hope? They lived in the shadows, right? Types and shadows. And then we are implying that they've entered the reality. When they didn't even live in the reality, the substance that we have, because the substance is Christ. They did not have Christ. Somehow, without having Christ, they jumped steps and entered immortality. We now who are here in Christ have not entered what they who did not have Christ have entered. There's a fundamental problem. So why are we wasting our time? Denounce Christ, embrace the law, types and shadows, and time mortality. Simple. Simple. 
I know I'm not teaching immortality today. <laughs> Just trying to explain that faith in you is a hope of what is to come. There'll be a problem. And this is why, do you understand what I'm saying? See, you see why it's important to be rightly taught the word of truth. So you'll not be tossed around, Hebrews 4, by every wind of doctrine. You can articulate yourself in the things of the Spirit. You can. It's not impossible to grasp the word of God. It's not. It is the remit of every believer. Every believer ought to have grounding in God's word. Every believer. So we teach presenting every man perfect in Christ. That's what Paul says in Colossians. Presenting every man perfect, not some men. Not the men that went to Bible school. Every man perfect in Christ. That's how we teach. Faith is how we have hope. And as with Jesus, so shall he be with us. All of us enter together. So we now sit down on the basis of that and understand scripture. You see somebody died and went to heaven. What do you mean? That's why I have over the years and so far I've been proven right on all occasions. I've never taken anybody seriously. Who said they died and went to heaven? Saw heaven, saw hell, came back. You had serious high fever. You know the one where you look at your ceiling, you're just seeing things. I mean, if you've had, I've had that. You are in your, you're on your bed, serious malaria and typhoid. You travel, you see cars, you see spaceships, you see big animals with long horns on your ceiling. Who, who has had that experience? Serious hallucinations. You see dinosaurs coming out of your wall. Please, please who identifies what I'm saying? I'm, I'm so, yeah. You see Tyrosaurus Rex, you see coming out. You see all those big, big rhinoceros. Huge animals. Mammoths. Walking, calling. Serious, full animation. 3D. I saw the Lord. The Lord took me. Captured me up. And you can talk. Because the one time it happened in scripture, Paul couldn't talk. Lord, I said I should go back and go and warn them. Because you cannot come and say to me, Jonathan, that you died and went to heaven. Saw heaven, saw hell. God now said, Go back and go and warn my people. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Stay with me, stay with me. But Jesus tells a parable about the rich man and Lazarus at the bosom of Abraham. And he says, the rich man says to Abraham, please send Lazarus back to go and warn my five brothers. And Jesus, Abraham said, as a type of God, that nobody, there's a chasm between you and us and us and you. Nobody goes from you to us, nobody goes from us to you. So then Abraham says, if they, would, if they hear the prophets and obey the prophets, then your faith will not befall them. Jesus told that story that Abraham said, the type of God, no chasm, there's a chasm, you can't go from here to here. Jesus says, nobody can go from the dead. And Jesus actually says, that Abraham actually says, even if somebody went from the dead to you, you will not believe. But all of a sudden in the 21st century, Jesus has changed his mind. And has loaded a different OS that enables death to life travel. 
and forgot to update the scriptures to highlight it. Because if God's nature and premises and principles have changed, they should have updated the scripture to highlight it. So when did God now decide it's suddenly okay to do intercelestial travel? All of a sudden, God has decided, you know what? Yeah, okay. I didn't, I didn't quite understand then. Dead people, I didn't think dead people can have as much impact. You know? But now I've realized. Now I've realized that dead people are, are a powerful tool for spreading the gospel of fear. So let's send a few people back from the dead. No, sir. Saving faith is how we have hope. Saving faith is how we have hope. As with Jesus, so with us. His persuasion. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Are you getting this? If Christ is not reason, Christ, your faith is futile, <laughs> you are still in your sins. So it's, it, it, it's all hinged on the resurrection of Christ. Of Christ. This all died. Lazarus was raised to death, to life in John 11. He died again. <laughs> in fact, as he was resurrected, they were looking for him to kill him. John 11, same chapter, into chapter 12. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> They knew that he, why were they looking for him to kill him? Because he resurrected as flesh and blood. He didn't resurrect in a different quality than how he died. So he didn't enter immortality. (laughs) Elijah was caught up into the heaven in a whirlwind. John 3.13 Let's start there. Jesus is speaking. Jesus. So who is speaking? Jesus. Okay. Now this is Jesus himself speaking to Nicodemus in John 3. And he says, no one has ascended to heaven. But he who came down from heaven. That is. Wait, where is Jesus ready to say this? He's saying the son of man is where? Where is Jesus when he's saying this? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the son of man who is, not who was. And it was the son of man speaking. The son of man is speaking, and he says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the son of man who is in heaven. So when I say to you that Christ is the embodiment of God, take it seriously. He's in the earth. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who descended from heaven, that is, the son of man who is in heaven. What the scripture is simply trying to say is that nobody has ascended to heaven. (laughs) Just in case you don't understand what that means. It means nobody, 
So one can be replaced with body. Has ascended. Ascended here means to ascend. Okay. To heaven. But he who came down from heaven. No one has been there. TPT. If anybody should know who has been to heaven. And who has come from there. It should be this son of man. And he says in the TPT. No one has risen into the heavenly realm. Except the son of man. Who also exists in heaven. So there was no vacancy. When God was in the earth. The message. No one has ever gone up. Into the presence of God. Except the one who came down from that presence. The son of man. I repeat. If there's anybody that should know the census. Hmm? The ascension statistics. The glorification numbers of heaven. He should be the son of man. The son of man says. No one has ascended to heaven. So instantly from the word of Jesus. We conclude. That every such or purported ascension is a lie. Before we even start to prove it. In fact, we don't even need to prove it. Because he that came from heaven, the son of man who is in heaven at the time he's speaking on earth, says nobody has been there. So automatically every bishop, every theologian, every commentator, every archbishop, every instructor becomes a liar. Romans 3 and 4, I believe. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. Certainly not indeed. Let God be true. And let every man. I've said in this house before, the problem is whether men are happy to be liars in favor of the truth. That is God. That's the problem. The problem is not whether God is true. The problem is whether man is happy enough to say, oh yeah, I'm a liar. I got this wrong. That's the problem. Because Jesus said no one has been to heaven. So no matter how authentic your experience is, it cannot be taken to be true. No matter how candid any other biblical narrative is, it cannot be taken to be true. Do you understand that now? Because it is the truth that is saying the statistics. It says, I'm in heaven now. Nobody's there. <laughs> now, right now, as I'm talking to you now, I'm in heaven, the Kodimos. And I can tell you, nobody came from there. Only him that is here now. In other words, if anybody ascended to heaven, I should have known. Right? I should, I should know if somebody came to heaven from the earth. So that automatically invalidates every human experience. It automatically invalidates every contrary biblical narrative. Including Enoch. Including Elijah. Including Abraham and the rich man. And every other similar experience of anyone who is, has been rendered as though they went to heaven. Now whether they went and came back is not even the issue because Jesus said no one has ascended. Not, not, no, no one has ascended and come back. Coming back is a whole other ball game. Yeah, you must reach there before you can think <laughs> You must reach there and land safely. 
before you think of coming back. But Jesus says nobody has been there. So it is against this lens that we must look at the rest of scripture. We're not looking at scripture to prove Jesus wrong. We have believed on the Lord Jesus. On the strength of that belief, we go into scripture to understand what then should every other seeming narrative of people going to heaven mean. Does that make sense? I'm not teaching about that. I just want to throw it out there. Yeah. But Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning God created the heavens. Somebody say heavens. heavens. Hold up. Plural. Already. Already. Heavens. Hmm? In 2 Corinthians 12. Paul goes up to which heaven? Heavens. We'll talk celestials another day. But just to give you a bit of pretext. Heavens, eh? Genesis 1.1 lexicon. Google. If you have it, let me know. Shamayim is a Hebrew word. Because the Old Testament is in Hebrew. Or Aramaic. Yeah? Shamayim. On Strong's, it's 8064. Has anybody seen it? Strong's 8064. Check the meaning. Heaven, comma, sky. Look up. So heaven, Shamaim, could be referring to the place of God's dwelling, could be referring to the firmament, could be referring to the sky. Heaven does not automatically mean the throne of God, just as Elohim does not automatically mean God. Because you see, contrary to popular religious notion that Satan is somewhere under the ground, Satan is in heaven, man. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against where? Why? Don't stop now. Why are you afraid to complete the sentence? <laughs> Why are you afraid to complete the sentence? You don't want us to catch you. <laughs> principalities and powers where? So where are the principalities and powers? And they're marching Satan on the ground. Marcha, marcha, under, under, under. Where do principalities operate? Heavenlies. Or where are you sat? So we come, if we are sat in the heavenlies far above, then the heavenly that we are sat in is higher than the heavenlies that the principalities are in. It doesn't mean the principalities are under the earth. It's just that by virtue of our sonship, we have been elevated above their high place. They are high. That's why we are now far above. So you can't automatically assume or conclude that once you see heaven, it is the throne of God. Now it says in 2 Kings chapter 2. Let's go there. Let me, let me, let me open this heaven thing a little bit. It's okay. Hebrews 8.1. Just a little bit. And, and the point has been made, right? Because again, this is information as you have in your phone. Yeah. But Hebrews 8.1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest. Of course we know who that is. Who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the Now we know that this throne is not in the sky. It's also not in the firmament where possibly the principalities and powers operate. 
is in the high heavens. What Paul would have referred to as the third heavens. Does that make sense? Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy 26. And I need verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel. Your holy habitation, heaven. Paul mentions the, second, the third heaven, right? In 2 Corinthians 12 and 2. And then we have this other fundamental heaven, if you like. Genesis 26 and 4. Genesis 26. Then God now comes and tells Abraham, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. This is referring to the galaxies. Because the stars that we can see are not at where God's throne is. If the stars are at where God's throne is, then all of these heavy mega microscopes, telescopes that look into the, uh, the, the, the constellations and the skies, should be able to clearly see God's throne. So when you say stars of heaven, again, the same word there is Shamaim. But it's not referring to the throne of God. Does that make sense? Not referring to the throne of God. I wrote a couple of other um, 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 instances here. Let me see if I can find it. Let's look at Deuteronomy 1.10. The Lord your God has multiplied you. And here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. You see that? Stars of heaven. Deuteronomy 28.62. A scary chapter. You shall be left few in number. Whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude. Not again, not God's throne. Right? Isaiah 13, 10. Isaiah 13, 10. For the stars of heaven and their constellations. You see that? Will not give light. The sun will be darkened and it's going forth. And the moon will not cause his light to shine. This cannot be referring to God's throne. Saying God's throne or where God dwells will not give light. Do we get it? Then you now come into this first layer of our cosmos called heaven. And you look at Genesis 7. Genesis 7 verse 11. When the, okay, start from verse yeah, 11. 11 is fine. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven opened. That's for rain. Right? And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Referring to rain. It says the windows of heaven were opened. Not the throne of God. Not even the firmaments where you have the stars and constellations. Just our atmosphere. Referred to in the Hebrew as heaven. Shamayim. You get it? Job 35.11. You will like this one. Job 35.11. Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth. And makes us wiser than the birds of heaven. The birds of heaven. Of course, heaven in the spiritual places doesn't have birds. Jeremiah 6 and 4. They shall die gruesome deaths. This is not your business. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. But they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. That's dirt, right? They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their corpses 
shall be meat for the birds of heaven and the beasts of the earth. So anything that's walking on the earth is called the beast of the earth. Anything flying in the sky is called the bird of heaven. Birds don't fly in heaven. They fly in the sky. And the skies are referred to as Shamayim. Heavens. So context again determines the usage or the meaning. You can't be saying birds of God's throne. You understand? Birds sharing space with the 24 elders. You can't be saying that. And you can't be saying that what Paul saw was the atmosphere. So context determines usage. That was just a little small study on heaven. Now let's go to 2 Kings against this backdrop. We now go to 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Back, go back to 1 Kings 22. 22 and verse 51. Ahaziah son of Ahab, you remember Ahab? Most of the stuff that happened in the time of Elijah happened in the reign of Ahab. Became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat king of Judah and reigned two years over Israel. He didn't need very brief reign because he was a very evil king. He atrocious things. Now while he was king in Israel, Jehoshaphat was king in Judah. Right? If you go back to verse 41, you see that Jehoshaphat son of Asa had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. He was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned for 25 years. He died. He did good. And then his son Jehoram took over as king in Judah, right? Okay. So, um, Ahaziah dies. Did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he died. Um, and then we come into 2 Kings chapter 1. In verse 2. Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria, was injured so that he sent messengers to them and said, Go, inquire of Baal, Zebob, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this journey. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite. This is how Elijah enters the narrative. Yeah? As far as Ahaziah is concerned. Ahab's son. Right? Arise, go and meet the messengers of the king and say to them, Is is it because there's no god in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baal, Zebob, the god of Ekron? And therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come up, come down from the bed which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. All of this, chapter 1, is the last interface that Elijah has with Ahaziah. This is where the king now starts sending people to arrest Elijah. And they were coming in 50s and getting blind. And fire was, fire was coming down and comes from heaven and consuming them. Remember that? In 50s. And the last set of 50 came and said, eh. <laughs> I don't want to die like everybody else. Yeah? <laughs> very, very interesting. That's verse 13. He sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him. And said to him, man of God. <laughs> please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid. And so he went up to them. And after he went up to them, Ahaziah died. Yeah? 
Because God already said he will not come down from his bed. So in verse 17 of chapter 1 of 1 Kings, Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord. And because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place. In the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Alright? Okay. And then in verse, chapter 2 verse 1, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. Everybody knows where a whirlwind comes from. It's atmospheric. It's a force of nature. Picks you from one place, does something, takes everything in its path, and ends up somewhere else. So whirlwind into heaven is already an issue. That needs clarification. Because a whirlwind doesn't go all the way up to heaven. As you can argue and say, well, God can make it go up to heaven. And you would be right, but would it have been his will? And we can confidently say, no, it couldn't have been his will. Because Jesus said, no one has ascended except he who came from heaven. And if there's no other way to be saved other than the name of Jesus, how did Elijah end up in heaven without the name of Jesus? So yes, God is, he can do all things. Like I said, you can claim the word of God outside the faith of God. So God can do all things. Yeah, but at the point where to make God faithless, he ain't going to do it. We know that much about him. He cannot deny himself. He can't change his nature. So even if it's to prove a point. Because he's not in the business of proving points anyway. So well went into heaven. And Elijah went, Elijah went to Elisha from there and blah, blah, blah. You know all the whole story. And they got to verse 11. Then it appeared as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into Shamaim. Now it's for us as adios students of the Bible to determine which Shamaim is this. We can't just assume that because it says heaven in English he went up to the presence of God. In the light of the rest of scripture in the light of what Jesus said. Again, if Elijah was there when Jesus descended, Jesus is supposed to know. He couldn't have forgotten how many people have ascended to heaven. Are you, are you following me now? Yeah, he couldn't have forgotten. Elijah saw it, verse 12, and cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. He took all of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. This was what this whole thing signified. A change of prophetic God. It wasn't an example to teach you to use mantles. Because the prophetic knife is not going from one person to the other. Gift of prophecy by the Spirit, not by the Papa. Yeah? First, Corinthians, First Corinthians 12. Any believer filled with the Holy Ghost can operate in the prophetic as the Spirit of God wills. And even now we know what the prophet does in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 14 and 3. Let's just put that up. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. See that carefully. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Or he should not speak. He's not a prophet. He's not a prophet. If, he's your, if you're a prophet, you're speaking edification, you're speaking exhortation, you're speaking comfort. I can take them all three and show them how they culminate in the revelation of Jesus. Edification, building you up. Or you could do more. 
In what? In most holy faith. What is your faith? The Lord Jesus. Exalting all men. Exalting them in what? The message of his grace. Comforting all men. What is comfort? Paul makes that clear in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Comfort is assurance of eternal life. Not don't cry. When your, your loved one died, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. That's not what he means by the Holy Spirit is your comforter. Comfort is an assurance of your immortality as a hope on the, at the, on the other end of this life. So Paul tells them this and he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Because the context in 1 Corinthians 14 is not how you do or how you behave when your loved one dies. So comfort cannot now be acegeted in 1 Corinthians 14. Does that make sense? That's prophecy. As by the way. Elijah and Elisha mantle prophetic change of God. Does that make sense? Elijah's time was done. Elisha or Elisha as some of you call him. I went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan, 2 Kings 2.14. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over. And don't forget, as we go into the first line of verse 15, you remember these guys in the three cities. The sons of the prophet. In Gilgal, in Jericho, in Bethel. Each city had sons of the prophet. Basically, Young men of God in Bible school. The ones from Jericho, which was the last place that they crossed to the Jordan, now said to Elisha, when they, among themselves, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Nobody needed to inter- interpret to them. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now see verse 16, this is very important. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Lest perhaps... The spirit of God or the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or in some valley. Hold up. These sons of prophets understood that somehow where God took Elijah to is somewhere else in this cosmos. Let's go and look for him. We know how this your God used to walk. Could have lifted him up from here. Cast him on some mountain or in some valley. We have 50 people. Let's go and search. Elisha said, don't worry, you won't find him. Because Elisha knew that there was a prophetic change of God. That's why what he asked for was twice what Elijah had. They insisted. Put the thing back up. And he said, go back to 16, the end of 16. Please, let them go and search for your master. Lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him up upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. But they insisted. Verse 17. Urged him till he was ashamed and he said, send them. Therefore they sent 50 men and they searched for three days. But they don't find him. Three days. Called up the search. Even today, if you send out a search party for a plane crash or something, after a while they call up the search. And then next verse, quickly. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? It never crossed their minds in this conversation or even Elisha who should have clarified to the prophets and said to them, no, but he has gone to God's presence. Elisha doesn't say that. How can you be searching for somebody who has gone to be with God? Elisha doesn't doesn't say that. They say, well, your Lord, the Spirit of the Lord will have put him on some mountain or cast him in some valley. 
Let's go search for him. Before we continue our story, turn with me to the book of Acts. Philip, right? Verse 8, chapter 8. You know the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Yeah. Verse 39. Acts 8, 39. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, verse 38, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. Are you here? The spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Where was Philip? On the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Right? Verse 27, from 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Okay? So they finished the whole thing. And in verse 39, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that you not saw him no more. And he went his way rejoicing. Jerusalem, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. See verse 40. Now Philip was found in Azotos. So God actually has a track record. Catching people up. And setting them down somewhere else. The spirit of the Lord caught Philip up. So that the Ethiopian eunuch saw him no more. But the Ethiopian eunuch went away rejoicing because Philip's ministry in his life was done. And then Philip is found in Azotus, preaching as he goes through the cities. The sons of the prophets say, the spirit of the Lord would have caught him up and dropped him somewhere. It's just that we don't know where. So let's search. And they went and submitted to Elisha. Built the first Bible school. Axe head fell into the water. Alas, it was borrowed. Caused it to flow. Ministry takes off. Of course, this is after the 42 children were eaten. For calling a bald man bald. Go figure. The guy was testing his newfound anointing. <laughs> you know, double fold mantle. Now, don't forget in 2 Kings 1, his last encounters into chapter 2 was with Ahaziah, yeah. the son of Ahab. Right? Yeah. The guy reigned for like less than two years. Yeah. He says two years. Around 850 BC, and then he dies. And then Elisha's story continues right through 2 Kings. And then you get to, for a long time, don't forget Elisha was caught up after Ahaziah. Ahaziah dies, Jehoram is king. Elijah is gone. Elisha has taken over. 2 Chronicles chapter 21. 2 Chronicles 21. I will go from verse 8. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves, so Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him. He rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libner revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made the high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit holotry. 12. Now, you know Elijah's nature very well. Read the letter. Thus says the Lord God of your father David, because you have not walked in the way of Jehoshaphat your father, or in the ways of Asa king of Judah, 
but have walked in the way of the king of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlot tree of the house of Ahab. So it cannot be different Elijah. And have also killed your brothers, those of your father's household who were better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions, and you will become very sick with a disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. That sounds like the Elijah I know. So if he's in heaven, now there's been a few, there's been a few interesting arguments about this. Some people have tried to postulate that um, what would have happened is that Elijah would have anticipated that Jehoram would have been a bad king and therefore would have anticipated that move and therefore would have written the letter and left it with Elisha to help him deliver it to Jehoram as the occasion demands. That's not only preposterous, it is silly because scripture should have said that this letter was delivered by the hand of Elisha. Another theory has it that Elisha actually wrote the letter since he had the spirit of Elijah and then wrote it as Elijah even though he was Elisha. Again, preposterous. That's gross ACGCs. Major ACGCs. Another one postulates that, okay, this did not happen. Elisha's cutting up. <laughs> did not happen until after he wrote this letter to Jehoram. Which, again, which is wrong because if you look at the chronology of Chronicles, you see that there's no other mention of Elijah's encounter with anybody after chapter 1 of Chronicles. It was an interjection to what was going on. That's why it was worth mentioning in 2 Chronicles. The guy is going along with his thing and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a letter from Elijah. That's what makes it worthy of mention. If Elijah had not been caught up, then it means this entire chronology is wrong. And then we should have also seen a mention of one or two other encounters with Elijah after 2 Chronicles 21. There's no mention, no other mention of Elijah to justify shifting the timeline to imply that, well, he was still around right up until Jehoram. When we saw in 2 Kings chapter 1, when Jehoram became king and how that Elijah was caught up right after his last encounter with Ahaziah. So if he went up to heaven at the time Jehoram is becoming king, hello, do you understand what I'm saying? And do you understand now how to study the scriptures? Jesus said, no one has ascended. First of all, we believe. It's Jesus. Then what did Jesus know that made him say what he said? That we don't know, that we are supposed to know if we are knowing God as through Jesus. What is Paul praying that our eyes should be open that we should know? For Jesus to have said some things, there were some things that Jesus knew. So for us to walk as Jesus walked, we have to know what Jesus knew. Of the scriptures. Because Jesus could not have stood up and made a silly mistake and said no one has ascended to heaven if at least one person has been there. And then you come to Genesis and come and see where Enoch walked with God and was not for God. Took him. Took him means what? Ask Philip. Ask Philip. When, is, when the Spirit of God is taking people, cutting people up, and dropping them, what does it mean? They say, God, you walked with God and was not for God, took him. What does it mean? Ask Philip what he means. 
Because again, it would be a gross mistake to come in Hebrews 11 and say, these all died. These all died, not having obtained the promise. These all died. He should have singled out those that did. I mean, somebody who did not die is worth mentioning alone. Let's say you're calling Hebrews 11. The one or two people that did not die and entered heaven. They're the real heroes of faith. That the real guys who have entered this promise. But that in itself leads to a third conundrum. It nullifies the entire narrative of righteousness by grace through faith apart from works. If Moses, who kept the law, Moses, kept the law, Elijah, who was not of grace, who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, appeared from heaven, it means Moses entered heaven by the law. When we say, for we know that by the works of the law shall no one be justified, then we are lying, you know, because Moses has entered heaven through the law. If surely there's no other name given among men, whereby they might be saved but at the name of Jesus, how did these guys get saved apart from the name of Jesus? So I ask again, how is it that them to whom it was a type and shadow have entered the reality, and then us who are it, they were not sons of God. And then we, we who are sons of God are still stuck in the hope of what they who are not sons of God have entered as their reality. Then no, let's just leave this whole thing. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But no, scripture is clear. He went somewhere where the Lord kept him away because his dispensation was over. It was over. And then he writes his letter to Jehovah. And they all knew who. Elijah the prophet. There's no, no confusion. Right into Jehoram. And then he lived wherever he lived. And he died. Enoch lived wherever he lived. Too good for the world. Yes. Too great to hang around with everybody else. And the Lord takes him away and puts him somewhere where only him and God knows. No problem. These all died not having obtained the promise. What can I lie? Everybody who's dead is asleep. Nobody's anywhere. <laughs> Nobody's with the Lord. <laughs> Nobody's with the devil. When somebody even writes and says, Oh, you die, you do if you you do you die, you go to hell, Satan will be waiting to torment you. That person he, he doesn't even know what Satan is. Because Satan, there's no place in scripture that shows Satan tormenting anybody. Satan, the, we want the tormented. It's not tormenting people in hell. So the fire in hell doesn't burn Satan. You know? It's a jailer. Yeah. He's just strolling inside hell. So welcome, welcome. Welcome to my territory. Let me hit the fire up for you. So you just see Satan inside the fire. He has become the son of man. Or the son of God. Walking inside fire. Because when Nicodemus saw a man walking in fire and not consumed, he said, that photo is like the son of God. That photo, that one. Only the son of God has the record of walking inside fire and not be consumed. That's his seat. Satan is walking in fire. You know, turning the embers, hitting it up. <laughs> you refuse Jesus. Welcome to me. <laughs> I will torment you in hell. 
Everybody who's dead is asleep. So there is a resurrection, two kinds of resurrection at the end of the ages. Everybody will be resurrected. The question is, unto what? Unto what? There's eternal damnation. There's nothing called eternal punishment. I'll teach that someday. No one has ascended to heaven except he who came from heaven, the son of man who is in heaven. These all died. Those who died sleep in the Lord. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Again, if they're already in heaven, where are they coming back from heaven to come and rise? What is so special about the rising from earth? Just you, just you, just one shot. It, just, it should just be seen that you fly. You are flying. You have not flown as a witch. They're looking forward to flying as a son of God. Because one way or the other, you shall fly. Because you, you, you to fly at night now, you have to join the witches and rent a broom. So now you can't fly because you're a witch. Why not telling you you can't fly as a son of God? Why? You want to fly. <laughs> No one has ascended to heaven except he who came from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Has this brought clarity? Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at War the Church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.